about to hear part two to this episode of climate mayhem if you haven't already go listen to part one to get the full story and so this is what when you talk about using money to help a problem now with a country or a city or someone may need this is what you're talking about this parametric insurance gets triggered at the event that you guys help power so the customer of this insurance is a city or is the country of congo and they get money to do now what are they typically doing with it now they've got it right yeah so it can be used in a lot of different creative ways it can be very simply just a typical payment for damage or as you would normally think of it. What actually is pretty cool about parametric is because it is just this very simple, an event happens, here's the money, and there's no, there's almost no real room for litigation in the traditional sense because it's all really de- predetermined ahead of time. Data proxy mm-hmm. set, mm-hmm. went over the threshold, you get it, and that's whether or not the proxy was accurate or not. So you can use that payment. Schemes can be done differently. They are called schemes, but you can use that payment for however you see fit. It's not for, okay, I can see your dam- your roof is damaged. Here's some right. money for the exact amount that we think it's going to take to repair that roof. It's just, you've experienced an event. Here's the money that we predetermined you would get when that event of that size happens. So you can decide if you like to move. You can decide if you don't want to rebuild the house in, mm-hmm. in that way. You can decide if you want to replant this season or just totally change your source of income, maybe change your source of income or, or how you're right. doing your problems. So you get to use it however you want, whether it's you as an individual, uh, a community, an entire uh, country. So some do come with stipulations about how you plan to use that, but sure. it can be quite a bit. You also could do it where it's a debt relief program, which I'm actually very excited nice. about, where yeah. you know, instead of actually getting money, you just don't have to pay back your loan, whether it's an agricultural mm. loan and you, or it's a it's it's sovereign debt. And I think this is a mm. really critical for the kind of example I was just talking about with Barbados, where right. you're taking out as a country massive amounts of money in order to adapt to climate change. You have to pay that back in the form of a you know a loan. But what if a massive hurricane hits and then you have to decide between wow. doing Wipes response? Yeah, yeah or paying back your debt or falling further into debt. And so I think these kinds of programs are really important for ensuring that we don't have massive bankruptcy all over the place um, or big climate bubble um, that banks are then just holding on to all this climate debt that they didn't realize they had when they issued the loans to begin with. Or stopping them from giving loans altogether because they can't see the the returns on it anyway. So why would I give this debt in the first place and not being able to finance it? So powers the whole flywheel, if you will, allows those banks to do make those loans because they know there is an opportunity to get paid back. Exactly. Helps you risk. Or maybe it, it, it makes more credit worthy farmers who wouldn't normally be able to access this because mm-hmm. they're in a, a, a risky area. You know, you want that. Yeah, I think it's incredibly valuable for banks. They What they do then is get an insurance themselves. So you're a bank who's writing policies for yep. government. You're saying, okay, I don't want to have to not be able to pay, like get my payment back if Barbados right. 
So then you take uh, insurance policy out, um, likely with a large reinsurer, who then they pay essentially like Barbados debt in this hypothetical. So now we've talked a little bit about the business, these amazing financial things. I think there's two things I'm, I'm really excited about when you say that. It helps me understand this idea of climate adaptation. You guys are really powering the right now. And, and I think this was a cool distinction you made of like, there, climate change is happening. <laughs> Whether all of these mitigating awesome products and companies out there are wildly successful, it doesn't slow anything down. We still have to deal with it today. Absolutely. These finance vehicles are one of the major tools allowing us to do this. And I think that's that's super powerful. And not a lot of people, I don't hear a lot of people talking about this at the level that you guys are. And I think that's that's pretty amazing. Yeah, well, I thank you. I I appreciate that, I, and I do think there's been more and more attention on this as yeah. folks come to realize that this this thing is here and happening now, and we gotta we gotta survive the next the next twenty years. Right. But also to get to these mitigating points of like, if yeah. we take all the carbon out, if every go sure goes to an electric vehicle, yeah. yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. And then if you start to think about, you know, we have massive amounts of private capital that could be just distributed through similar financial instruments we have today in order to help yeah. finance this. Like we don't have to just rely on, I mean, we need support from public financing, even just to get some of these new instruments going to demonstrate that. Sure. But, you know, there are some estimates that the UN has that it's really only cost something like a couple hundred billion, which I guess sounds like a lot, but in order to finance all of the adaptation uh, programming on any given uh, year, that would be required to absorb the amount of loss that we have right now. That's not a huge uh, no, number. Um, not what they, and, yeah. But we're clearly not spending that amount now. Right, uh, right. And so we're, we're quite interested in how we can support redistributing finances to enable those kinds of actions to happen. And your data platform allows this, powers that to be able to be, now I actually can put a product behind that or financial product behind that. But the other side of this that I wanted to explore, which is this idea that you are doing this as a business. You've stated this before, as a capitalist business that is for-profit making money, which is one of our big theses this this uh, season. Talk to us about why you think this is the way to build these types of changes and make these types of uh, efforts work. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong. I don't think it's the only way, the only necessary way by any means. But I think it is, in many ways, the only way to get to the scale that we really need to with the solutions that we are talking about. I mean, I just casually threw around the term like a couple hundred billion dollars that need to get redistributed. (laughs) (laughs) You know, there's no foundation or or NGO. I think the history of well, I could be would be love to be wrong that is getting that budget on an annual basis, just redistributing it effectively. Like we need things that are going to spur me at the level of like large capital enterprises. And I think to do it sustainably, it has to have a business model behind it. Now, I don't think when we're very clear at Cloud Discreet internally with the team that this is not the only theory of change, this is not the only thing necessary and that sure. we think... Um, community partners that we work with in the U.S. and internationally are necessary for building deep resilience within a community. Like what we're doing is providing the data, making sure that everyone has access to the information that they need to prepare and respond to climate change from you know, entire governments to the U.N. to down to, to communities. Like we want everyone to have that kind of access and then need the capital to take those actions. And there's an interesting evolution along adding capital actually in. But that's just 
really two layers, two absolutely necessary layers that have a business model behind them. Can can we think we can get to a scale where really we are talking about close to everybody? But that doesn't mean that we know exactly the right decision that makes sense for you, your household, your government, your country. Right, um, right. That we know the kind of history of what it's going to require for your community to, let's say, relocate from where it is, but maintain its culture as much as possible. Like wow. there's yeah. a myriad yeah. of, of decisions, of support, of resources, of actions that have to be taken that I really think are not, don't have business models necessarily gotcha. but behind gotcha. them. And need to happen on a much more local level than I think College Street necessarily works. Powerful. And we, I guess the, the last thing I'll say is that we really like to as much as we can and, and, and you know, <laughs> try to stay humble about how much of it we, we are able to do and are, are doing, but partner with these organizations. And so we, we often sure. say we work in you know, countries all over the world. And, you know, while we often say like we, we pick a country where we don't have someone who's from there, like, we work in, in Colombia and like, I don't know what it's like to, to be a Colombian farmer. I will never fully understand no matter how much work I spend. We partner there. We want to partner with local organizations who understand the the local context for sort of last mile adaptation there to yeah. really, and learn from them about what does resilience look like? What are the negative potential effects of insurance there or working with the yeah. government there that we wouldn't think of? And so I think of thinking of in some ways, your end user or consumer, whether the same or different, just right. as a kind of like the ultimate customer of your of your product, even if they're they're not the consumer, and treating them kind of with that respect and that humility that you have to, to create a good product is, I think, the way that we try to partner with these other forms Got of it. theories of change. That makes a lot of Everyone sense. Everyone doing their part. A rising tide needs to be, I guess, uh, not pun intended. What? <laughs> uh, let's talk a little bit about. You recently got funding. It was about two years ago. You got your first funding. Your ten-year-old company. And let's talk about how you strategically aligned your different investors at that point in time. Um, it seemed like that was a very deliberate yeah. decision for you all. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. So yeah, as I mentioned, Cloud Street's been around for a really um, long time. My I met my co-founder in grad school. We're, it's actually over the ten year anniversary now that that we we met, wow. Wow. Um, and then met yeah um, uh, uh, Colin Doyle, who's on our our founding team, like very early as well. Who's, he was working at NASA, and just began working on this a long time ago on the on the signs of it. And then we were working with governments all around the world for years, really, wow. um, before we took VC funding. And mostly working with national disaster management agencies to give them access to information mm -hmm. that they just didn't have before, sort of like that Got that it. Congo example. And over the years, VCs had you know approached us pretty aggressively. You know, let let's fund this. And in many ways, it is easier money than other money, especially for a really small company with big ambitions. And we largely just didn't enter entertain that. We didn't quite yet have the we thought the what we call product market impact fit. So mm -hmm. the theory of like, okay, this like dollar is going to lead to more output. So a really understanding what part of the market they were connecting to and then how that led to the one unit of, of impact and what that would be before we pump money into the <laughs> work that we're doing and sort of go sort of off to the races and then start subjecting ourselves to to um kind of in, in investor pressure. And it was about <laughs> Two years ago, that realized we that the flood parametric market was really 
finally ready to take off. The parametric and insurance have been on our radar since the, the beginning as a mechanism that we always thought was really powerful. But really, I'd say two things dynamics changed in our theory of the impact around insurance. And then the market started finally taking shape. And I'll say, I guess, first what those two things are is you know, over the years, we've been working with ministers in various countries, providing them with data. We consistently heard them say, okay, this is great. I can now see that I need to go do search and rescue for that community over there. We need to relocate mm-hmm. this community and do this. With what extra money do you expect me to go make these new decisions? Right. We had insurers come to us saying, hey, we've never had high quality data in these locations before that we can really rely on. Wow. Could we use this to just offer new products in new places? Sometimes the same places that where people were saying we need access to, to money. Wow. Um, and yeah. we were like, okay, let's put two and two together here and really understood what it meant to build underwriting tools on top of our data, which was no mm. easy feat, I have to, I have to say. But <laughs> um, <laughs> we realized that that would be possible. And then we saw the market coming together where insurers were actually wow. saying, okay, we actually are interested in and would start putting serious amount of money behind these policies, yeah. even if it's in the developing world for governments or in new parts of, of the US. And so we raised money about two years ago, first, first round of money two years ago, in order to build out that technology. And it's been a really awesome. We've done that. We you know, already have products in the market now. And we can say a little bit big about where that is and who that's with, but it's a pretty sizable amount of premium and um, people who are now have access to insurance for the first time. Excellent. Excellent. I love that product market impact. Yeah, fit. I wrote that I down mean, too. I, I, t- I talked to, yeah, I talked to a lot of people about product market fit, and that's hard. Like finding oh, product oh, market yeah, fit is sure. not easy. Sure. Product market impact fit just adds such another vector there that is super interesting. Yeah, yeah, but you got to do it. I mean, yeah, the elusive product market fit for sure. But you got to do, you know, just like I really believe in like, designing your go-to-market right as you're designing your product. Like you've got to start to think about how this the sales motion, how this thing actually gets there and is consumed yeah. and how you expand from the very beginning. I think you have to think about the impact component of that from the very start. It's not a, mm-hmm. okay, great. We are like really taking off. Now let me try to figure out how back, like back reverse engineer into how this is going to help someone's life. I mean, that's fine to do. Interesting. That's yeah, sure, sure. businesses. But if you're really serious about it, you have to think, I believe, you have to think about it at the very core of the beginning in the beginning, which means product market fit is always the beginning. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. And, and what does the investor landscape look like moving forward for this? It really seems like in this industry you're creating or, or the, in a big need you're filling, like are, are there, and do you have a need for investors, more investors within this? Yeah, we'll have an announcement coming up fairly soon. Uh, that will probably ask, answer the, the second question there. The investor landscape, I think, has changed in an incredibly exciting way in the last, so we raised about a year and a half ago, but I'd say about two years ago, where climate tech became, I think, just a really exciting and um, sort of sexy area for um, investment. I actually really credit, so so um, one of our investors, Lower Carbon, is I really think was a huge part of pushing climate and climate tech to the real fore of venture uh, opportunities. Pretty big fund, right? Yeah. Hundreds so that, of millions of dollars of a fund? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Yep, That's for sure. Good. And Chris, Chris Sokka really, I think, pioneered that in many wow. ways and, and really took a step back and said, like, this is the biggest problem that's going to face humanity, the economy overall. 
And there's massive opportunities in that as the entire economy has to sort of overhaul to a clean energy economy, if we have to distribute capital differently in, in, you know, in, in adaptation or to just absorb loss that we have now, like, this is a huge opportunity for companies that are going to in, invent the solutions to create this new world. And I, you know, I've been working on climate change much longer, and I'm always kind of skeptical when massive amounts of money start getting pumped into some, you know, into yeah. a new problem yeah. solution. But I, so I was a little bit skeptical in the beginning, like, are people serious? Are they going to invest in the, like, the right like, solutions that will actually create the world we need and create it in an equitable way? Mm-hmm. And it's not perfect by any means, but I'm personally incredibly encouraged by how, I mean, how the investors that at least we have think about climate, think about the solutions. So think about the the, the the tech, what the right tech is, think about the regulation around it, think about the systems of change that need to happen, think about the equity issues involved. And I think are really like very open to learning and questioning their own beliefs um, about it and get yeah. into the complexity of it. So in that sense, I've been very encouraged and just to come back quickly to the Cloud to Street story. When we decided we think we're ready for VC style investment and money in order to really expand and grow the Kind of product market impact that we think we have found. It was really important. I encourage anyone, impact company or not, to just get deep alignment with your investors. It doesn't mean nice. you necessarily share the exact same incentives by any means. Right, like don't, right, right. You're not going to be, you know, best friends necessarily, <laughs> or you know, yeah. not like you know, come to your kids like naming of. But <laughs> you have to like understand what their incentives are, what they're going for, you know, largely Absolutely. Absolutely. money, but like, you know, they've all got somewhat different. And then you have to be clear about your incentives, kind of what your priorities. So for us, impact at massive scale is the goal. And like creating a, a multi-billion dollar company is an end to that means, is we think a necessary vehicle for what we want to achieve here. And that completely is aligned. It's not potentially the exact same as all of investors, but it's very aligned. And so when they're pushing us to, you know, in a given board meeting to make a decision in a certain way, I know it's for the health of my vision overall, because we've been clear about it and we'll debate it out and compromises are made on either side. That's normal partnership. But you have to, in my mind, have that level of understanding and partnership and transparency if this is the right type of uh, direction for you. Right up front. I like that. Well, that, that kind of leads, I was going to ask this question a minute ago, but you went really into this. I love this where you brought this back to. So thinking about now new founders, new new people who want to go into this space, whether they're activists who are have another idea, what advice or, or where would you point someone? How would you direct someone starting something today, whether it's where, should, you know, what, what industry or what, what's the next problem I think they need to tackle or just some pitfalls that you think they need to watch out for as this landscape has changed in the last decade that you've been involved in? Yeah. Let's see. Let me give some advice that I think is probably tried and true advice and see if I can kind of link it to the specific here. So I think when you're starting a business, so starting a business is a really particular way to make change, make make money, and uh, mm-hmm. for change. There's many other ways of doing it. So sure. be clear about what it is you're doing. And if you're wanting to start, it should really come from like, what insight do you have into a problem? So that's why a lot of founders start with a problem, unmet problem that they've had, either mm-hmm. professionally or personally. Mm-hmm. What insight do you have? And then opportunity do you have to change something that 
for whatever reason, nobody else has either understood or been in a position to create something that's massive and world changing. And like only you are the person or you and your founder or co-founder are the person who like actually are the, like that's extremely unlikely that that has happened. Right. And so you have to have like a pretty strong conviction that this is new, highly desirable and like nobody else knows this or is in quite a position. So I think a lot of, you know, investors I respect talk about like, why would this person have the ability to see the future in a way because they were at Salesforce and saw that that kind of you know, software was going to take off in every industry and, and, and go invent it in a different way. Or Salesforce was like fundamentally not not solving some particular need or was not in a position to do that. Why were they go? Why are you going to go do that? And you know, for us, Beth and I, her background is in disaster relief work, so she had seen really firsthand when, why, and what the pain was when communities get left off of disaster aid lists. And then we were in school learning more traditional disaster science and just realized that like the way that it was done was never going to be able to get to at cost get be accessible by people in the kinds uh-huh. of circumstances that she had been in or the communities that I had been right. working in, in in the US. And like, okay, we keep making this better and better. And then really at the same time, the other convergence was that yeah, c- computing power, computer mm-hmm. vision, mm-hmm. and satellites were going up. So it really was that suddenly there was a new way of doing things. Mm-hmm. So it was really a right time, right place that we kind of found. But I think be really, really clear and honest with yourself about whether it's this particular thing and it's you yeah. and your co-founder that can that can do it. And then the other thing I would say is like that kind of product market impact fit, like just be really honest with yourself about it. There's no point in sort of like lying to yourself about how this thing is going to go be it's like billions of dollars or it really is going to help people. If it's just not like you'll get to a point where you kind of can't hide <laughs> if it's not <laughs> right, true. Right. And we try to do that. We did this one, I'll just say, leave it this one thing. And there was kind of a year in which we said at the company, we just need to make sure that at the end of this year, there is a name of a person or many people who we can say really honestly in the mirror, like, that person's life is fundamentally better because of Cloud Street is is here. And this was many years ago. We were like, we are not scaling. We are not doing anything else until we can really honestly talk about that. And whether it's like quantitative, or we we want to be able to know know that. And then wow. what kind of scale? Yeah. So very concrete and and literal. Yeah. So we felt like we we couldn't really hide from that. And then. Um, yeah, we just actually decided the company will probably be doing that every. We stopped doing that because we're like, okay, great, here it is. Here, and then here. Right, the right, right. But we're actually probably going to go back to holding a test, holding ourselves accountable to a test like that for more widespread. Love it. All right, one question we've been asking everybody that's been on the show is, from your perspective, what's the next big step change in climate action or climate sustainability that we need to take or that you see coming? Yeah. So I'm actually incredibly excited about the attention that's starting to get directed towards climate adaptation. I think the SEC rules here in the U.S. will help with that quite a bit, where climate disclosure, it's really only one important part, but one important part, one part of starting to think about how we embed climate risk today into the economy Mm -hmm. and think about the assets that are risk, where the weakness is there. Um, I would be excited to see insurance, or really what we think of as um, disaster risk financing and risk transfer, mm-hmm. also be a part of regulations like that. So if you're in a risky area, you have to have insurance of a certain kind, you have to have debt relief of a certain kind, 
So I, I'm very excited about the sort of the better uh, climate regulation about climate adaptation today. And I think we'll see just a ton of more attention and financing when that happens. Like I said all along, the term that you guys have helped me really understand of climate adaptation, I'm definitely seeing the power and the need and the need of like wh- where we're at today and how do we deal with that today. So I, I really appreciate it. Me too. All right, all right, we're wrapping it up. All right. So I think it's time. Bessie, we like to do something called Rapid Mayhem Questions. So, oh, okay, got ready? it. Are you ready? <laughs> Let's do it. You know, you know a lot of great statistics I saw, so I, I have a feeling you, you might do really good at this. All right, true or false? All of them. First one: just one inch of flood water can cause seventeen thousand dollars in damage to your home in the U.S. in a like a developed, you know, not an impoverished county or, or, or city. I guess I'll say. Sometimes true, sometimes false. <laughs> I mean, that really depends on a lot of things. That's true. I, I, I'm going to try to be really precise with these questions because I think you're going <laughs> to... Okay. Um, uh, it is it is false. I got this from the Connecticut uh, state government uh, website. For for them, it's $27,000 in damage to your home from just one inch flood water. Interesting. Yeah, yeah it really, really depends. Maybe on average. Yeah, maybe it's, it must yeah. be an average. Yeah. Okay, true yeah. or false? Wetlands in the U.S. save more than $30 billion dollars in annual flood damage repair costs. Oh, I definitely could see okay. that. You're you are right. Yeah. True. All right. We're we're uh, two for two. Number three. Number three. True or false? Roughly twenty seven percent of all urban land in the U.S. is located in the hundred year or high risk flood zone. Oh, more. More. I actually had found it said it was seventeen percent. It must. I got this on the American Rivers Rivers Connect Us oh. Association, but maybe it's wrong. Who knows? I bet that, yeah, well, what, well, my question would be like, what is the um, flood risk model? Going yeah, into right, right. Love it. Love it. Of course you would ask that. Um, <laughs> oh, is, is, is there a very popular flood risk model or organization that, that is referenced a lot, like in the past 20 or 30 years? So, so FEMA is pretty much the, yeah. the, the, and the federal government is the, but there are, is a bunch of research in, in the U.S. and then by a couple of the companies. So I'd look at like the First Street Foundation. We're fans of their work and they've done a lot of work looking at comparing to the, the FEMA flood map. There's, folks are always like, comparing their model to the FEMA flood model. Mm. And I don't think there's like a one particular reliable one, but FEMA, those FEMA maps govern a ton mm. of regulation in the US. They actually do reference yeah. FEMA in this statistic that I found. So it's, yeah, it's, there you go. It. All right. Last one. For every degree Celsius of climate change uh, increase, the amount of water vapor in the atmosphere increases by around 7%. It's definitely not exactly my scientific background, but I that sounds true. Yeah, it's true. It's true. Yes. And and for for the audience's background, (laughs) uh, an increase in water vapor in the atmosphere results in more intense extreme rainfall events everywhere in the world, uh, most everywhere. Um, so, so, so that's why that's, that's important. All right. Rafa Mayhem questions. The door is locked. Uh, they've been close. You passed. Nice job. Yeah. Nice job. You, you did great. You did great. Intense. <laughs> <laughs> it was intense for me. I was like, I gotta, you know, Bessie's just so damn smart. I gotta word these right. I gotta, I gotta, I gotta <laughs> these right. Uh, Bessie, we always try to do some sort of call to action. It's paramount in mm. a podcast like this than, you know, as, as others, like, so climate change is so big. People often feel helpless. And helping. Yeah. So what's the equivalent of what a listener can do? Or let's just say any busy soccer mom or any busy young urban tech professional could do? 
Yeah. Okay. Well, those things are going to be tough. The first thing I'll say is that we're making a huge amount of progress on climate change. I'd say from just adaptation where I'm talking about now, like we have the solutions right now to do what we need to do. And then if you look at the progress we've made in the last 10 years, even just in getting the price parity with wind and solar, like this is an massive in terms of the like industrial lift that it's been in terms of the government's role in it. So it is a huge problem and can be overwhelming, but we've been starting to really rise to the challenge. So I'm very encouraged. The thing that a soccer mom can do, whatever that is, but and or a mm-hmm. climate tech professional is, I don't know, maybe a bit different. Like I will have been, I will just say that if you can, I guess, vote with your job in many ways, I, that is oh, incredibly wow. powerful. Like the um, just part of this new trend over the last two years of kind of excitement and intention and really like elevation of climate tech as a real, I think, just exciting industry has mm-hmm. been moving a massive amount of talent into the space. And mm-hmm. as someone who's been doing it my whole career, we'll, we'll do it no matter what, very proud of kind of the community that's been here for a long time. But mm-hmm. the kind of new skill sets we're getting from tech, from engineering to product management, um, to some of the best folks in finance, like coming over and starting to kind of dedicate their professional energy over here, I think has been a huge, will, will be a really big accelerating factor to the solutions we're going to see out there. Added talent. Yeah. Love it. Love it too. Yeah. I remember the CEO, founder of Drones Seed the other day said something about brain draining some of these other industries into, <laughs> yeah, yeah, into yeah, climate, awesome. tech. climate totally. tech. I love that term. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, That's great. Well, thank you so much, Bessie. Where can we find you? Where can we find Cloud to Street? How do we learn more about this? Yeah, so I'm just on Twitter at Bessie Schwartz. Schwartz with no T. Or just cloudstreet.ai. We're on Twitter. We're pumping out flood maps that are all available for use. We'll send you the data too if you need it, especially if you're doing wow. search and rescue for Ian right now or anywhere else wow. in the world. So yeah, find us on Twitter, cloudstreet and me, and then uh, check out our website at just cloudstreet.ai. Cloudstreet.ai. I like it. And open source maps, right? Like anyone can go look at a lot of these, right? Yeah, we release a lot of our maps for free. So we've actually released the largest database of flood maps in the world historically. It came alongside of our paper in nature. And then during major emergencies, we will provide data for folks who are doing, we will release it openly and then we'll do more for folks who are actively doing search and rescue, even if we're not working in that country. And people can find those flood maps on your website if if they went to cloudstreet.ai? Yeah, so I think the most up-to-date ones right now are on Twitter. Okay. So just... Yeah, Cloud Street. And then um, we actually are about to re-release a new, we're, we're, we have a new website coming for just the free oh, flood map. Okay. So that's, I think, coming in like two or three okay. weeks. And we'll keep we, it all we can probably link that in the show notes. Yep. Uh, so it'll be a few weeks before you post this. So, oh, so we, we should definitely yeah. do that. Oh, perfect. Great. So yeah, live great. now. Right. New website. <laughs> <laughs> love it. Love it. <laughs> Bessie, thank you so much. You know, yeah. this is what you're doing is so important. And uh, I heard, you know, Ty actually shared this from something he heard that you know, Cloud to Street found you. You were originally just solving a problem. I'm really grateful that Cloud to Street found you. Yeah, well, thanks. <laughs> this has been really yeah, fun. I lo- uh, yeah, I loved how Beth said that. Yeah, no, I-, I totally agree. Like I said at the beginning, 
for me, it, it talked a little bit about what, what's happening now and what we can do to do things now. And I think it's super powerful. And yeah, totally appreciate all the all the learnings that you brought to us today. And, and man, I, yeah, I just feel like I learned a ton. And I feel like stuff is happening instead of thinking about stuff that mm-hmm. will come. And I appreciate that. Yeah, 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 exactly. All right. Awesome. Well, thanks so thanks, much, you Bessie. guys. Have a great one, Bessie. See appreciate Bessie. it. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Boom. How was that? Well, there's more. So keep listening. We speak with climate tech leaders and change makers in EV, reforestation, solar energy, flood mapping, and a whole lot more. Also, you can give feedback or check out show notes at our website, climatemayhem.com. Thanks for listening and see you next time. Oh, don't forget, if you found this valuable or interesting at all, please hit subscribe. That way we know you're loving it. So just go to Spotify or whatever podcast app you're on. Hit that subscribe button at the top. Production was done by Daniel Steenkamp with cover art by Harrison Glenn. This is Jacob Kubica with my legendary colleague, Ty Wolf motherfucking Jones. Peace out, Climate Mayhem. Out. Out.